For the week of January 1st, 2023, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 603, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the newsmaking headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Cape Town, South Africa, I'm Michael Giltz. Ha! You're literally in Cape Town. You're not lying. Like, you're, like normally you'll say like, oh, I, you know, in the North Pole with Santa. Uh, I'm, <laughs> but no, you're actually in Cape Town. That's right. I'm here for a wedding. I'll be headed to Stellenbosch, the wine region, on tomorrow. We're recording on a Monday. And Tuesday, I'll be heading out to Stellenbosch for a wedding over three days. Good Lord. So that'll be exciting. First time in Africa, the continent. But what an exciting week of news. Did we have a show last week? We did not because there was really just the one big thing that happened, which we will be discussing oh, later. Oh, but you weren't available. I was available. You weren't available. Yes, yes, yeah. We didn't do it because it wasn't noon because Sperling said, I'm not available. And look what's happened. Pele died. Pope Emeritus, Emeritus Benedict died. Barbara Walters died. And we have a street date for Twister, a sequel Thank to Twister goodness. called twisters it's coming out july 19th 2024 of course there's no script of course there's no cast but we've got a director and we've got a release date <laughs> i mean why wouldn't you announce a release date for an 18 year old movie sequel a sequel that no one is waiting for wait a second i i thought this this is a sequel. i thought it was actually a movie about two people playing the board game twister no no this is a sequel to twister mind you Avatar, The Way of Water, is a 13-year-old sequel to a movie, uh, but that was the highest grossing movie of all time. Twister was a big hit. There's no reason why they couldn't have made Twisters right away. You know, why they waited 18 years or think they suddenly have the magic formula for whatever was holding them back, I don't know, but here we go. That's Hollywood for you. Announce a release date and then write the script. A little piece <laughs> of trivia, um, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, a friend of mine from college, uh, Anthony Rapp, was, uh, of course, now <laughs> known for other things. Oh, he was in Name Rent. dropper, name dropper. Uh, yeah, he was in Twister, of course. Yes, uh, but he wasn't really. Like, he, he was there for months shooting Twister. He was in Twister. He's in Twister. But He's he had a it. much bigger role and got totally shaved. Well, um, it happens all the time, yes. But nonetheless, he was in a big blockbuster hit. And then in one of the biggest Broadway hits of all time. Rent. Rent. Right, yes. so great career, and now he's in the Star Trek franchise. So a wonderful, well done career, Anthony. And a new father, in fact, to strength. A oh, new congratulations! Father. Well, that's very cool. I didn't know that. Well, what else are we going to find about this week? God, I can't talk. Well, that's <laughs> because you're upside down. The, I keep telling you, when I'm you're upside the, down on the planet, you know, all the blood flows <laughs> to your head, and what you know, you can't I'm, think straight. I'm in the lobby of the Marriott Hotel, Crystal Towers, in Cape Town. You know, there's no conference room at this time of night. I'm 10 hours ahead of Sperling, and uh, I've forgotten how to talk. But you do it for us. Tell us what's going to happen this week on the show. Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are spanning the globe, and not just at the box office, but, you know, news keeps happening. And, and people uh, keep dying. And people keep, yeah, thanks for reminding me. And uh, so we've got a show, okay? We've got a record-setting year at the box office in Indonesia. Harvey cool. Weinstein is found guilty Again, and Iran's film industry is on the front lines of the fight for freedom. Wait, what? And we've got some streaming news that should be a snap. 
to cover. Actually, not 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 that kind of snap. <laughs> on inside yeah, baseball, exactly that kind of snap. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, on inside baseball, we'll look at the year in TV, what specials and episodes were big hits, and what it means for the future. All I can say is, I hope you like sports. Of course, during <laughs> Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first. As always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. And really, let's just face it, it really left Puss me in blue. Boots, The Last Wish. The number one film around the world is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, with $79 million worldwide. It's $130 million in counting. It cost $100 million to make, but we'll have to see where it ended up. At number two is Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. That made another $19 million. But wait, that's wait, not wait. Time great. out, time out, time out. Yeah, you- yes, hello? Yes. Um, you you skipped over something. I was making my joke about being oh, blue. Oh, my, my, oh, it slipped a little bit. I'm sorry, you're right. Number one is Avatar, The Way of Water. Uh, Puss in Boots made $79 million. Avatar, The Way of Water made $489 million over the past seven days. Christmas to New Year is just like Christmas every single day for the box office. It's just so much money is made every day. Almost half a billion dollars over the last seven days. The movie is now at $1.4 billion. It will clearly pass Top Gun, Maverick, to become the highest grossing movie released in 2022. Um, it will continue to stroll along. Like we said, never rule out James Cameron. I think True Lies is the only time he kind of stumbled, really. Um, but, you know, the movie's just going to keep chugging along. Clearly, we've seen already that day after day, there was a massive storm over the Christmas weekend. Christmas fell on the worst day possible in terms of movie going, as far as Hollywood is concerned. And none of that has held this movie back. It's pacing ahead of the first movie, as it should, since it's a big sequel and it's highly anticipated. But and, it is and of course, turning inflation. out money. Well, yes, 13 years, not, not radical inflation, but it's, it's, it's grossing money day after day, week after week, and we don't know where it's going to end up. I can't imagine it not getting to $2 billion. Will it get to $2.9 billion like the original? Who the heck knows? I mean, don't well, rule anything out. But if it gets to $2 billion, even though that's $900 million off the original, you have to say that's a huge accomplishment. After all these years, for a movie where no one could even remember what the characters' names were, you know, there's like, oh yeah, that movie, you know? But well, my kids, I took my there, kids to see it, and they ooh. were not interested in this movie in April, May, June, July, August, September, October. Totally not yep. interested in this movie. In November, they weren't interested in this movie. Uh, we watched the the first one. I, I let them watch the first one the night before I took them to see it, uh, and then so uh, they watched the first one on TV with no 3D. Yes. Just they watched the movie. Uh huh. And then we went to see, you know, Avatar two, Avatar: The Way of Water. And the first thing one of my daughters asked me, uh, coming out, she's uh, 16 now, is so uh, when does the next one come out? <laughs> Very cool. And they were literally <laughs> they actually said, like, That's I right. have no interest in this movie. And this Why was did you drag them to two, it? Two months ago. Right. I didn't what, drag what made them, them to it because, of course, I think everybody was they going to see They finally expressed it. interest? Yeah. So they finally yeah, expressed an and, interest. And everybody was going to see it. And them. they wanted to see the first one before. What did they see? think of the first one when they watched it on TV without the 3D and all the splashy stuff? They liked it. I, I think they got the story. They, they understood the story a little more. They're like, as well, opposed of course. To, it's pretty long. It's pretty yes. long where they're like, boy, this is a long movie. Yes. And, they but were. when they saw the in the theater, it didn't feel so long. No. And I have to say, it didn't feel long. You know, Avatar The Way of Water didn't feel long. It was long and did not need to be yeah. as long as it was. 
Um, no, but it was it, it was it's effective and people like it. So my God, you know the man. Although here's got the thing. The crisp- mm-hmm. I think that it's actually earning money, at least in the U.S. I'm only going to talk about the U.S. now, with one hand tied behind his back, or at least one one or two oh, fingers. Of course, yeah. And that that is forget the pandemic for a second. Although maybe it does. And the weather. And the weather, yes, because Saturday, when you look at Saturday's grosses, Saturday the 24th, it's not just that people were going shopping, it's that there was a huge, huge storm yeah. across the entire United States, all it the was grosses amazing. plummeted. It was remarkable. The money it, made, the money it made was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, on Friday night, it made $20 million, and then on, you know, on Saturday, it made $1 million, and then on Sunday, the Christmas, it made another $20 million. You just look at the dip there in that one day. Uh, But, you know, when I went to see it, all the shows in this in this theater were sold out. It was a dine in cinema because it was just happened to be the closest one dine in cinema. All the shows were sold out and I couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, shows are sold out for Puss in Boots. That's remarkable. Lights dim. The show I'm in, 2.15 in the afternoon, sold out on a Thursday. And I realized the entire front row is empty. The entire back row is empty. And there are pockets of seats that are empty. And so I called the exhibitor. I don't want to name them because maybe they don't want this. You know what? I know all exhibitors are facing this, so I, it doesn't matter which exhibitor it is. They're Nobody not selling Nobody wants to sit in those tickets. rows. Of course. Yeah. They no, shouldn't even they, put seats there. No, no, it's not that. It's that they don't have the staff to service the customers. Ah. Well, and, that's at the dine-in cinemas. Correct. They're not doing it in the regular theaters. Right. Well, that's a subset. How many, how many screens are dining? And the number of seats know. they have is exponentially lower. You would take like four screens of a dining cinema to fill in one decent-sized screen at a regular theater easily because they have like 40 seats, you know, 50 seats, right? Yes. A dining cinema has very few seats. Right. So this is, this is no, a No, 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 no. There was, there was a, a hundred and... 40 seats, I think, in that theater. Well, that's a pretty big screen for a dine-in cinema because you need a lot of people to, to feed food to 140 people all at the same time. Yeah, so that's, like, that's, yeah. also a high dem- that's also a high demand. So, I, I, you know, let's not talk about the economy, but, you know, when your setup is we want to be able to feed 140 people all at the same time, basically, well, that's a hard lift. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's the business I could, you I got into. Wrong. I could be Does wrong it, about that. It might, might be, be 100 Right, but that's still a lot of people. Of every, and by the way, the tip wasn't that bad. Thursday, December twenty second in North America, fourteen million. Uh, Friday, uh, December twenty third, nineteen million. Saturday, December twenty fourth, fourteen million. Sunday, December twenty fifth, a really big movie going day, twenty nine million. Yeah. Monday, December twenty sixth, thirty two million. Because yeah, nobody wants to go shopping, but the drop off from the last few days before that was not bad. Like sixteen million, eighteen million, fourteen, fourteen, nineteen, fourteen, and then Christmas Day. 29, 32, Look at all the other movies, 20, 20. Well, they weren't making anything. This is the only game in town. Yeah, a lot yeah. of movies have hit it by the wayside. That's right. So when we look at the box office, after Avatar, Puss in Boots cost $100 million to make. It's getting good word of mouth, I think, from audiences. It's gotten some good reviews, and it's still there worldwide. It's at $130 million, so hopefully it'll keep chugging along and get to $300 million. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, that's not doing well. It made $19 million last week, but it's at $28 million, and that's just at $45 million uh, budget. So when you're at $28 million after the Christmas holidays are over and you cost $45 million to make, not a great look. Black Panther Wakanda Forever, by any stretch, this is a hit. It has tripled the budget of, it has, good Lord, 
Sperling, I'm never going to make it through the show. It's tripled its budget. It costs about $250 million to make. It's at $818 million worldwide. But the original cost $1.3 billion. So yeah, it didn't cost. Say, it made $1.3 billion. Oh, I, God. Yeah, it Can made $1.3 billion. Can you imagine if it cost $1.3 so billion? Yeah, <laughs> like, well, James Cameron's like, I can do that. <laughs> I'll make $20 billion if you give me that money. So, yes, it's $500 million off the original. It's slowing down quite a bit. It's not going to get much farther, I wouldn't think. You know, I don't think it's going to get to a billion. It's going to end up more around nine, $900 million. So that's going to be $400 million off the original. Not so bad in the scheme of things, but it doesn't help that you lost your leading man. All right, so back to the charts after those. What, what are some of the other movies that haven't done well? Babylon, that's the big, a big flop. The Damien Chazelle film with starring Brad Pitt about Hollywood during the silent era. It cost $80 million to make. Nobody is going to see it. It's at $11 million total. Poor reviews, poor word of mouth. Uh, that one's in trouble. Um, Strange World, of course, continues to underperform for Disney. That's a shame. The Fablemans, when we're looking at big movies, that still has a lot to go because they're hoping to get a big Oscar push and they're going to get a big new ad campaign behind it. And it is Spielberg. But The Fablemans is at $13 million total worldwide. That's not really where you want to be right now with a Spielberg film. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a labor of love for Sp Steven, but it costs money to make. So, you know, looking back at the other movies for some hits in China, we have a new comedy called Better Man. It's about a macho guy who's transported to a world dominated by females. So he has to learn to be domestic and become a better man. Uh, that grossed $14 million on its opening week. So people are still going to the movies in China. And that was a big part of the story for Avatar, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, the, pr the problem... Because in China, Avatar was struggling. And then after that first sort of breakdown, it really started to catch fire. And it's doing better and better. And they keep upgrading how much they think it's going to end up making in China. It's now probably going to surpass the original. It might have done much, much better if there wasn't COVID and all this nightmare stuff. But it's, it's doing it. People are take, saying, I want to see that movie. And they're going. So... That's good news. Yeah, for the I mean, film. think think about what's going on in that country right now. I mean, I don't even know how many theaters are open. Well, well, enough for that movie to to grow some serious coin. Uh, the yeah. horror film Violent Night, a Christmas horror movie, that's going to fall off the charts in a minute. But it cost twenty million dollars to make, and it's grossed seventy three million dollars, so that's a big hit. Here's a film we missed. Uh, I think I missed it last week. It's the first slam dunk. It's a Japanese anime film about a female basketball team. Uh, this week, it made $7 million, and it's at $38 million and counting. Matilda in the UK has now hit Netflix, so it will probably stop grossing money, but it's made $26 million overall. That's from the UK and Ireland only. Think what Netflix could have made if it opened it up around the world. Uh, heading to South Korea, yeah. Hero, uh, a new drama, made about $6 million this week. It's at $11 million and counting. In Taiwan, we have a film that's doing quite well. It's called Someday or One Day. It's a spinoff of a Taiwanese TV drama and is doing quite well. It made $4 million this week and it's at $16 million worldwide. Rafe Fiennes' The Menu is chugging along, $71 million. If you want some good news about Art House Fair, that's the movie to point to, along with, I'd say, the opening weekend of Knives Out, which clearly uh, Knives Out Glass Onion could have made a lot more money. Uh, the Whale is doing modestly well, but, you know, great reviews for Brendan Fraser. That's at $6 million and counting. My alarm just went off. Uh, and in South Korea, The Night Owl keeps chugging along. That movie is at $24 million. And uh, two more. I'm not, you know. Oh, that's right. Two weeks ago, there was a discussion of Black Adam. Did we get into that about whether this movie is actually profitable? 
I think we covered that, yeah. or did we? Well, yes, we did get into that a couple weeks ago, and of course, that was before. Before uh, they said no more Black Adam, keep calling him. Yeah, Dwayne Johnson was like, "That's it, I'm out." No, no, he didn't say uh, that. Actually, it was, it it was, was more gone. the other way around. Yeah, it was gone. Yeah, <laughs> they, they would love to work with Dwayne Johnson. They're, they like Dwayne Johnson. They're trying to be respectful, but that Black Adam is not going to be part of the DC universe going forward. That's the way to put it. But no, they were all like, "We love, we love Dwayne Johnson." You don't want to tick him off. He could be president one day. Um, but we do have some really good news. There's more good news beyond Avatar The Way of Water, and that would be The Legend of Maula Jat. This is now the highest grossing Pakistani film of all time. It has grossed $10 million worldwide. That's great news. It's been completely off our radar because sometimes movies like this, we don't get reported figures. They don't come to Comscore, and if the trades don't do a story about it and you, the listener, don't reach out to us, we don't hear about it. Shouldn't they tell us when there's a local film doing really well? Indeed, they should. They should write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter, where our handle is at showbizsandbox, and we haven't been banned yet. Uh, and we are also on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox, where you can like our page. That's right. The legend of Maula Jat, $10 million worldwide. Not only is that the newest, high, best-grossing film of all time from Pakistan, it triples the take of the previous record holder, which made $3.2 million worldwide. And it's a great year for Pakistan. I know you missed it at Khan. Sperling, but the film Joyland received a claim there, didn't it? It did, and I've been trying to see it ever since. Yeah, so am I. And more good news, and that would come from Indonesia. We have an all-time box office record, the most admissions of all time for this year in Indonesia. They're approaching 55 million admissions. I haven't seen a, a final roundup telling us what the details are. Of course, the, the year just ended two days ago for us, or one, yeah, two days ago. Um, that blast past their record they set in 2019. That, of course, was a worldwide box office record year. You know, record setting year for North America, for the worldwide box office in general, and for Indonesia specifically, where almost 52 million people bought a ticket to the box office. Now they've broken that record quite significantly. They're at 55 million admissions. So that's great news. And if you're worried about those executives and how they're going to get by, the holiday season was expensive, the weather, don't worry. Uh, Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos and Netflix are going to do just fine. The first of our exec pay stories came out. They obviously released this just in time to try and bury it during the holiday season. Reed Hastings is going to get $35 million and Ted Sarandos gets $40 million. So they will be just fine. Not to worry. Well, just think about what it would have been if the stock hadn't tanked, because most of that is in stock uh, for Reed Hastings, at least, as you can see, because he's earning less than Ted Sarandos because he took his his pay in stock. And of course, it's not the stock tank this year. Yeah, only uh, thirty five million, only thirty five million dollars. I'm just saying, imagine, you know, if it th the stock hadn't tanked, it would have yeah, been like, well, you know, I don't think the stock, million. yeah, the stock's rebounding. Look at Wednesday. Anyway, um, we have some social justice news. Harvey Weinstein was found guilty of rape in an L.A. trial, a new trial. He is facing the rest of his life in prison. Eight women came forward and told their stories. At Disney, they don't like being associated with this story, but it's Disney, the owners of Criminal Minds. They are the owner of the Criminal Minds franchise. That's just been rebooted on Netflix, and they are paying out $3 million to settle a lawsuit brought by the 
California Civil Rights Department. It alleged, and we've done this story before, that the show's director of photography, the DP, Gregory St. John's, sexually harassed male crew members for 14 seasons, and producers ignored his behavior and fired anyone who complained, or fired some of the people who complained, I should say. That's according to the California Civil Rights Department, so sue them if you're Disney and listening to our show. But we had that story before, and I was so flabbergasted that a DP could have such power. Like, you wouldn't think they'd care that much about the DP, but... But like you said, whoever's in charge of the little fiefdom, you're the head of makeup, you're the head of editing, you're the head of DP, you've got people under you and you can, you know, be a big jerk or be criminal in this case and make their lives hell. And if they don't care, they're like, well, the movie show is making money. We don't care. Just keep it going. They let you get away with it. Then you will. So uh, shame on the people in charge. But some people are trying to do good, and that would be in Iran. Director Ashgar Farhadi, who is uh, one of the best directors coming out of Iran in recent years, has now spoken out, speaking out for actor Tarina Alidusti, who he's hoping she will be released. Uh, I'm not sure if she's still in custody, but a number of top people in the Iranian uh, cinema industry are speaking up and showing support for the protests still ongoing in Iran. They are risking their careers and their lives and the livelihood of their family and friends by speaking out on social media or in Ashkar Farhadi's case. Was he the one who went to? No, that was Panahi who went to jail, who went to... Jafar Panahi, yeah. Yeah, he went to like uh, the police and said, hey, where's my friend? And like, oh, really? We'll arrest you. (laughs) And so here's Ashkar Farhadi. (laughs) You know what? Why don't you go see him? Yeah, (laughs) clink. And so Ashkar Farhadi, knowing all of that is happening, people are being beaten, killed, raped, and and he spoke out. So good for him and good for everybody else. And our, our thoughts are with the people of Iran. We hope it's a new year and a better year for everybody around the world. Well, now, where do you want to head? Do you want to head streaming. to streaming? I mean, you know how much I love this segment. Well, I don't know why. There's so much happening in streaming. In fact, you moved one of our streaming stories into uh, Big Deal, Big Whoop, because there wasn't enough happening elsewhere. Streaming is really powering the industry, right? That's affecting what movies get released in theaters, how shows are made, how many episodes you make, where they get made, uh, investments made. Like, do we want shows in France? Yes, we do. Do we want, you know, uh, does Disney need to make shows in, in Oklahoma? Yes. You know, it's like, There's a lot more attention to global cinema, and it's great to see. But my question is, as we look at this week's ratings, we get our information from Nielsen, who reports on the streaming numbers from Amazon Prime, Disney+, Hulu, Netflix, and Apple. This is for North America only, and it's only people watching stuff on their smart TVs. So when I watch something on my laptop, or my I never watch it on my phone, but if I did, or a tablet, that would not be counted. So they're getting a sliver of the streaming audience, but it gives us an indication of what's popular and how things are doing. And I want to know, why did the entire planet decide it needed to see a spinoff of the Adams Family immediately? I mean, Wednesday opened to... Tim six- Burton. Tim Burton is the only thing I can think of. No, he hasn't been that big in ages in movie-wise. He's not that big a draw. But, I mean, that's as good good an explanation as any. No, I apologize. That's as good a question as any. But when you look at his box office in recent years, I mean, he's not a big draw. But maybe he is a big draw on television. But Wednesday absolutely exploded. Jenna Ortega uh, came out of there. Um, She's she's the star of the show. Uh, We get a callback to the uh, uh, Wednesday Adams from the movies, uh, co-written or written by Paul Rudnick in part or in whole, depending on the film. Uh, Tim Burton is overseeing it. Uh, So from the 
from the imagination of Tim Burton. Oh, and the people who created the Adams Family. Thank you very much. So, uh, and you know, of course, it was created by Alfred Gao and Miles Millar. So this was just a huge hit. It also had, of course, a meme, a streaming moment with the dance that Wednesday does. That's all over TikTok and social media. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's very, very cute. I had a friend say, oh my God, have you seen it? It's so cool. <laughs> so, you know, when 50-year-old men are going, oh, that's so cool. You know, that's, that means something's really working. But, you know, big cast, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Luis Guzman, uh, Jenna Ortega, Fred Armisen, Christina Ricci, and a callback. So that's cool. Tim Burton did, in fact, direct four of the eight episodes. So he's all over this. This is his biggest hit in years, but I still remain shocked. I would not be shocked if it got sampled and then grew and grew. But the idea that out of the gate, Wednesday is one of the biggest opening weeks of all time for a TV show on streaming uh, kind of boggles my mind. I would love to see what Matilda did. Uh, in four weeks. Well, we, yeah, exactly. We got to wait. We got to wait. But yeah, no, that's, uh, uh, yeah, you know, his last movies have been Dumbo, which our in-house film critic Aaron Rich did say was very, very good, but did not do great. Uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, Big Eyes, Frankenweenie, Dark Shadows. You have to go back to 2010 and Alice in Wonderland to see a film that really clicked for uh, Tim Burton, commercially at least. So this is a real comeback for him in a way. So good for him. But those are the streaming numbers. You can look at our list and you'll find all the sort of stuff going on in streaming. Um, you know, week by week we cover it. It's interesting. It's fascinating to see what's up, what's down, what's doing really well, like Yellowstone, or in my case, I'm always fascinated to see Gilmore Girls showing up week after week uh, on the list for the top 10 of acquired television shows. Um, I think it's a big deal. It's, it was, this is why shows made so much money in syndication. People wanted to watch them again and again. Now they can stream them on demand. They're still doing it. And so these shows have a lot of value. The problem is we haven't figured out to make sure the people who create the shows have a piece of it and thus can benefit from when a show becomes a massive long-term hit like Gilmore Girls doing on Netflix right now. Yeah, I mean, my daughters are watching Gilmore Girls now. That should tell you something. They were, I don't they? Even think they were alive when that show aired. And they, well, of course they were. And they liked uh, Wednesday, right? They loved it. Yeah, they loved it. They liked Avatar The Way of Water. Love Wednesday. They're watching Gilmore Girls. They're going to be okay, Sperling. They're just going to be just fine. <laughs> well, if you think streaming, though, Michael, is a big deal, I, I do, do wonder what you'll think of some of our stories in Big Deal or Big Whoop, our segment. Our weekly segment, copyright. <laughs> it's our segment. Our okay. week yes, it is copyrighted and trademarked and screw you, Disney. It's gonna last for another eighty four years or whatever the heck it is. Yes, we're way behind you in the whole copyright <laughs> yeah, game. We've got seventy nine uh, years. Well, oh my god, we've already done ten years. <laughs> 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 oh my god. Oh brother. <laughs> well, this is the segment where we, we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and we tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. There weren't a lot of news stories this past week. It was a holiday week, but the governing body of Formula One, the Federation Internationale L'Automobile, or FIA, as I like to call well it, done. and so does everybody else, well, they have a message for their drivers, uh, and it is, uh, why aren't you using turn signals? No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's shut up and drive. FIA mm -hmm. is refining its rules to ban Formula One drivers from any explicit religious, political, or personal statements without advanced permission in writing. <laughs> like, ever. Like, ever. Don't ever do it. Presumably, this includes, you know, 
They can't say anything while racing and doing post-race interviews and the like. But you can imagine the bind FIA is in. It's running a billion-dollar business, and it doesn't need drivers making racist or fascist comments that would, all, you know, it's going to alienate a huge portion of, wait, um, uh, what? Wait, mm-hmm, the yeah. drivers are wearing T-shirts and symbols in support of queer people and black lives. Wait, that's what they're upset about? Yep. Have they seen the NFL? Oh, my God. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, It's a big deal. This is a growing sport. It's making inroads into the U.S., which is a huge market. And so, you know, you can make inroads in the U.S. and China. That's a lot more money for Formula One. And they're finally beginning to crack the code thanks to streaming which has helped make Formula One a lot more visible and popular. They want to get a female driver in there. They want to get more American drivers in there. And they want no muss or fuss. This is the same story you see in every sport. Either the fans or the people in charge are like, just shut up and play basketball. Just shut up and play football. Just it's like, no, you know what? Some people are going to say stuff that's going to anger your listeners. Some people are going to say stuff that we think is positive. But they're going to be people. And I don't see how you can make them completely bland out and not be people. Because you're also demanding that they be more and more present on social social media than ever before. You can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want them to be personalities that are attractive to the world, you're going to have to find people that appeal to most of the world. And that means people who are interesting and take stands on things. Some of them will be ugly. <laughs> so that won't help you. Others will be positive and ultimately seen as good. So it's not going to work. You know, maybe they can keep them on, yeah. the, on the field, but it's, how are they supposed to shut up for their whole life? Now, you know, if you want to be safe, that's what you do. You want to, you could just be a, uh, you know, Michael Jordan is the famous example, right? He never got into anything. He's like, I'm just playing basketball. And he was one of the most valuable brands in the world. Other people can choose to do that for whatever reason. That's great. And you know what? If you've got really ugly attitudes, maybe that's the way to go. But some, some guys well, on look your- at, look at, I wondered if when I first started reading this, if this was a, something having to do with the whole, you know, shut up Brandon or whatever, or, you know. Uh, let's go, Brandon. Whatever it's called. Oh right, yeah, uh, yeah. Which started slur a NASCAR against pres- race. Slur against Biden, yeah. President Biden. Yeah. Well, uh, well, no, that's so, the same idea. They don't, they don't like anybody talking about any. They'll have Confederate flags on their car, though. That has finally ended. But they don't want anybody to say anything controversial. <laughs> it's like, ah, yeah, too late. <laughs> well, speaking speaking of controversy, Bill Cosby, big deal. No, I, I mean, uh, he is planning to tour. Bill Cosby. He's, what, 85? He's planning to tour in 2023. A gift to other comedians and late-night talk show hosts because who can't make a joke or express an opinion about that? Look at me. I did it. Uh, hey, maybe avoid the drinks on offer backstage, ladies. Okay, that's Dang my that. guidance but, but I'm bummed. But I'm bummed. He's, yeah. oh, he's 85 years old. Yeah, well, Cosby has hinted about touring before when COVID interfered. This time it may actually happen, even though he's legally blind and was frail enough to ask to be released from prison, in part for health reasons. Well, I guess he's well enough to tour, apparently. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, It's a big whoop, sadly. One of the great comics of all time. And it's just going to be a tour dogged by controversy and protests, and or people will just ignore it. Uh, I'm sure those people will still be happy to go see him. But all I would say is go watch W. Kamau Bell's documentary. We need to talk about Cosby. It's on Showtime. And like the documentary Leaving Neverland, it's straightforward and damning. And, you know, you can recognize the legacy of what he accomplished without even beginning to say that you approve of his private life or don't find that horrific and and god-awful. You know, when dozens of women come forward, the story's over. You know, there's no debate anymore about the horrific things he did. 
That doesn't mean you can't still say the Cosby Show and his stand-up comedy and other things were important moments. They are tarnished, of course, by that, but ultimately, hopefully, those will survive and the horrible person will be put to one side and, you know. It's just, I don't know, it gets easier the farther in the past they are. That's all I know. You can separate the art from the artist once enough time has passed. Michael Jackson is dead. I'm sort of enjoying his music again. Yeah. That doesn't mean I approve or don't Look, think it was a big deal. Look, it only took 13 years. Yeah. It only took 13 years. Is that, when he, is that he died 13 years ago? Two, 2009. Oh, how'd you know that? He died after watching Avatar? <laughs> no, no, he died in June of 2009. And I know that because I was oh. in... Uh, I was in Amsterdam. In fact, we covered it. That's well, of course we covered it. Of course we covered it. He died before the release of Avatar, which must have been sad. Yes. I'm sure he would have gone to see well, it. My, I mean, we were doing the podcast back then. We had, I think we had Roger Freeman on for that, that episode. Oh, may, maybe this, so. You know, he covered, he, he yeah. died June 25th, 2009. He was aged 50. Well done. But the Kamau Bell special is very good. It's a four-part docu-series. It's not long. It's very engrossing, very well done. Well, Michael, let's make a new podcast. Whoa, okay. We'll bring the Hardy Boys into a new era. I'll be Frank, and you'll be Joe Hardy, and we'll solve crimes, and it'll be kind of really neat. Uh, Do we have the rights to the Hardy Boys? I don't think we do. Hold on a second. Let me just... uh, I'm just... I'm just... Hold on. My desk is a mess. Actually, we do now. Oh. We do now. Right at literally today, we have the rights. <laughs> Yesterday, we didn't. Today, we do. And that's because, you know, every year, new pieces of pop culture enter the public domain. Soon, the Mickey Mouse Circa Steamboat Willie, meaning next year, that will be up for grabs. And artists annoyed, uh, you know, they're, they're annoyed that AI can rip off their work or are ripping off Mickey Mouse and begging Disney to sue the courts can settle that dispute. Maybe they can settle it via AI. I don't know. But today we're focusing on books. Last year, Winnie the Pooh entered the public domain, which is why you saw that weird horror flick. Countless titles uh, will enter the public domain this year, including the first three adventures of the Hardy Boys, including The Tower Treasure, The House on the Cliff, and The Secret of the Old Moon. <gasps> Golly, let's start detecting. And is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's a big whoop, but it's interesting. It happens every year, and you see the titles that are coming out, and it's kind of cool. Three Hardy Boys books are probably the most interesting of the uh, stuff to come to the public domain with the biggest pop cultural imprint, though. There is an Agatha Christie novel starring Ecu Poirot, uh, Willa Cather, um, Death Comes for the Archbishop. I am just reading for my New Year's. I always like to start the year off with a classic film that I've never seen and a classic book I've never read, and I am reading Willa Cather's My Antonia, and I'm, it's great. So her novel, also well-considered, Death Comes for the Archbishop, is entering the public domain. Herbert Asbury's The Gangs of New York, the basis in part for Martin Scorsese's film, and a couple other books. The most interesting of which is probably, or the best one that I know of, is Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse, a masterpiece. Oh, really? Oh, God, yeah. It's right right there with Mrs. Dalloway in terms of stream of consciousness. And it's just, you read it. At the time, it would have seemed very radical and like, what the hell's going on? You know, you're jumping from person to person in their brain. But today, you don't think twice about it. We're used to that technique now. And, but it's still a marvelous, marvelous book. It's that and, and Mrs. Dalloway are the two Virginia Woolf novels you really have to read. Unless you're headed to London where you should go see Orlando on stage. That's supposed to be a terrific adaptation. So what was the the, uh, the the book that was set in the graveyard, Lincoln? Uh, oh, that was Lincoln, Lincoln and, the and the Bardo by George Saunders. Yes, terrific. Y- yeah, it would be kind of like that. 
which was really radical in the way it was, you know, flipping back and forth with ghosts. And I guess, yeah, but that didn't seem weird, did it, when you read it? No, because right. I read, uh, you know, to the lighthouse. Yeah. No, yeah, right, a million books <laughs> like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, there was, it was a, it's like a family. So you're going from the wife to the father to the daughter, and that was very unusual at the time. Now it's a familiar technique. It's just like some classic films that, you know, like uh, it happened one night. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's a nice movie. And you're like, no, it invented everything you're watching. Like every movie you've seen that's done that same stuff, that was the one that did it first. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that did it first, DirecTV did it first. What's that? In fact. Well, one of the big reasons people subscribed to DirecTV was they couldn't get coverage any other way because cable didn't reach them. Or their building had an exclusive deal. The mm. other big reason? The NFL Sunday Ticket Package, which lets you watch pretty much every game, everything on that day that's not in your own market. However, it was a huge money loser for DirecTV. And after three decades, maybe it won't mind losing the rights. The new home for NFL Sunday Ticket, you might be asking yourself, YouTube. They practically doubled what DirecTV was paying to $2 billion a year in a seven-year deal. Its TV bundle is called YouTube TV and has 5 million subscribers, including Michael, by the way. That's right. Uh, but the NFL Sunday ticket will be available on its own, and DirecTV may still handle sales to restaurants, bars, and the like, because, of course, you know, you have to have that commercial aspect to it. So, big deal or big whoop? Well, to me, it's a big whoop. It just jumps from one service to another. But to you and your friends, it's a very big deal. Well, here's, here's the thing. It, first of all, not everybody has high-speed internet. And we talked about this right before we started recording. And, you know, I have friends, and you'd think, I have friends and family that they live in a place, you'd think this is not a rural area. Yet it is Napa Valley, California. And yes, it's highly populated, densely populated, and yet it is still somewhat rural. I mean, they do grow grapes there for wine. Uh, and to get high-speed internet there costs $40,000. It would cost $40,000 to install, and then you'd have it. So what they have to do is they go to where there's high-speed Wi-Fi, uh, and they download whatever they want to watch on Netflix, and that's how they watch it. And everything yeah, else comes over DirecTV. And so now when this switches, they're, they're going to not be able to get it yet. And so my first thought was, well, get Starlink. You're wealthy. If you live in Napa Valley, you can get Starlink, and then you'll have a good enough connection. You can buy it. And you're like, yeah, not available yet there either. <laughs> yeah, it will be at some point. But I misspoke. You know. um, the, I misspoke. The DirecTV deal was up to $1.5 billion a year. They were losing $500 million a year estimated on the deal at, at towards the end, or if not the whole time. But they were losing half a billion dollars a year. Uh, and that's where I conflated $1 billion to the $2 billion. So it increased by like 30%. It went from $1.5 billion a year to $2 billion a year for Netflix. Um, but that's, that's where it ends up. Uh, I guess in a way they were paying $2 billion a year because they spent $1.5 billion and lost half a billion. So that's $2 billion when you add it all up. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I guess the way... The way, uh, you know, the NFL looked at it is it's worth $2 billion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, so uh, that's interesting. Uh, like you say, uh, the Democrats passed a bill to get internet to more places, high-speed internet. It's not just rural areas. You want to get it to rural areas. It's also big cities. There's a big high-speed internet divide into poorer neighborhoods that don't get it or just neighborhoods that are stranded because they're a little farther out of the way. And if you leave it to the companies, you know, financially, they just say, well, it's not worth it. I don't care if they don't have internet. You know, it doesn't matter to them. They just want to make money. So to get it to even Napa Valley or to some parts of the big cities and to the rural areas, which also need and deserve it, you got to have the government step in. If, if you left it up to business, they still wouldn't have electricity in rural areas. They wouldn't have running water. So 
You know, yeah, it's that a, was FDR's New Deal, and I, and I would say, right. uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, exactly what, what you're saying. I think, and we uh, need to redo the entire high speed internet. We need to redo the entire electrical grid, and we can make them all stronger, far more robust, and get them everywhere, and then let companies compete for that last mile. You know, have have the public set up the the tubes for all of this stuff and then let companies compete for that last mile. So instead of being trapped, like you can only get stuff from DirecTV or your building can only get it from AT&T or like in Birmingham, I'm stuck with Spectrum for my Wi-Fi. I have literally no other option. Let the government build a much more robust system that's decentralized and stronger and can handle 10 times the capacity of what we use today. And then you can have actual competition and we'll have better service at a lower rate just like Europe and other parts of the world. Well, and you mentioned that, that, that uh, the Democrats passed a bill. You know, it was really, thankfully, in this regard, Congress. It was somewhat bipartisan, that, that bill, and, and definitely needed. Uh, yes, that's being very polite. <laughs> barely, barely bipartisan. Some of it was bipartisan. A lot of it was on party line votes, but uh, I'd have to look for the exact bill and which, what the vote was, but a lot of it was not terribly bipartisan. You get two or three people or 10 people on the other side compared to, you know, 100 and whatever. It's not that bipartisan. Yeah. It's nice that one or two but people you know, voted for it, but there you go. That's a little inside baseball and, as far as DC is concerned. True. Uh, I am, uh, you know, this is actually a perfect... Uh, segue into Inside Baseball where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. And here's how it affects you. Are you ready for some football, Michael? I'm always ready for some football. Well, apparently the answer is yes. It's always yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Because uh, Nielsen, they released their top 100 primetime broadcasts for I guess 2022 and football dominates. Sports, in fact, dominate a lot. And the Super Bowl, by the way, guess what? 99 million viewers, number one. Good the college Lord. football championship on ESPN reached 22 million viewers. By the way, 22 million viewers. I'll never forget this. When somebody, when I was, worked at CAA and, and, and an agent, a television agent reminded me, no matter how many people went to go see the, the sequel to Jurassic Park this weekend, more people, t- over 20 million people watched ER. <laughs> so yeah. more oh, people yeah. by like a factor think, of like seven I think it was like 30 million. At, I think it was 30 million a week at one point. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the Winter Olympics had a night hit uh, number 10. I guess one of their nights hit number 10. Uh, the more football, you know, it's just really football, football, football until number 23 when the Oscars scored 17 million viewers. Uh, it's the highest rated entertainment program of the year. Even... If it is a shadow of its form, think about it. It used to get like 25, 30 million viewers. Now it's 17. At number right. 32, it's more is the than next that. I think, I think it got more than that, but yeah. I remember when it got 60, I think, when I was a kid. It was Titanic, right? Um, the big year. Yeah, I the think The big so. recent year was Titanic. Thank you, James Cameron. <laughs> you know, to give you some sense, uh, you, know, you know what it's like here on New Year's Eve in the United States. Uh, the ball drops in New York and everybody watches it. No matter where they are in the United States, they watch the ball drop in New York. So, and as I get older, I'm thankful for that because then I can go to bed at, you know, 1030 and uh, don't have to watch the ball drop at midnight. I get to go to bed a little earlier. Uh, and of course, this year, uh, it used to be Dick Clark, you know, Dick Clark's New Year, New Year's Rockin' Eve in Times Square. Uh, and then CNN had Anderson Cooper and, and Kathy Griffin, uh, uh, you know, 
Kathy Griffin, but then it became Andrew, you know, Andy Cohen. Uh, and last year, I guess they drank too much and they weren't allowed to drink this year. And everybody wanted to know what it was going to be like when they were all sober and Don Lemon wasn't getting his ear pierced in New Orleans. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it was boring. Boring. Okay. It was <laughs> well, really God help boring. It was really they, they can't be fun without getting drunk. Really? No, but it, the whole thing, I thought it was boring before. Now it was really boring. Uh, well, however. What's that got to do? Yeah. So New Year's fell on a Sunday, right? New Year's Day was a Sunday. Yeah. New Year's Eve was Saturday night. Now, Sunday in the U.S. is the NFL day around this time of year. So college bowl games are usually on New Year's Day. But because New Year's Day was a Sunday reserved for the NFL, they had to hold two of the biggest games of the year on Saturday, leading right up to midnight. And if it was a blowout game, it was... The University of Georgia versus Ohio State University, the number one and the number four ranked teams. And this and and Georgia hasn't lost a game. Georgia's the defending champion and they are behind in the fourth quarter. And their quarterback, who was a walk on, who had to fight for his job, has to come back from the largest deficit ever to win the game. And it came down to get this, Michael, the final down to the final three seconds. Guess what time it was when that happened? <laughs> what? 11.59 and 30 seconds. 30 seconds to midnight. And we were watching this game and we had the older adults yelling to turn it back to CNN to watch the ball drop. We had the kids and all the men yelling to watch the sports. <laughs> well, that's and, exciting. And, and then we had the, the older adults saying they could, we, we could record the sports and trying to figure out how to record the sports. <laughs> but it like, just goes watch to show the you. Sports. You can record the ball drop. <laughs> the so we recorded, we recorded the sports, flipped over to the ball drop just for the last 10 seconds, watched about a minute of that, and then realized, okay, this is boring, and flipped back to the sports where we, we watched Literally, where we picked, we picked it up from where we left off and watched as the kicker who could have kicked. It was a, he could have kicked a winning field goal, but instead he missed it. And it was, I mean, I felt so bad. How far away was he? 50 yards. That's an extremely long field goal. Right. And it was, but it was nowhere near close. And, right. and sure enough, Georgia came back from the largest deficit ever to win. The, I mean, to give you some sense, this is the fight going on over linear television today. And that's why, well, this is the fight over sports rights. <laughs> this Correct. is the fight and over that people is having why $2 billion. To yeah. Right. But, but they lost money at 1.5 billion. Who knows how YouTube is going to make money from it? But that's sports for you. Uh, you know, um, when you look at the list, it's the Academy Awards, and then you have to go down to number 32 to find something else that's not the sports, and that would be Yellowstone, the biggest TV show around right now. Yellowstone put in 13 million viewers for the finale of season four. That's on the Paramount channel, by the way, David, my brother, not Paramount+. Plus. Every week I have to explain. He's like, now, why can't I go to Paramount to look at this Paramount show? I'm like, because it's on the Paramount cable channel. It's not on Paramount+, Plus because they sold the streaming rights to Peacock before they launched it. He's like, I don't care. I just want to watch Yellowstone. Old men all over America are angry and confused. <laughs> this Every week I have to explain. He's like, now, if I want to watch the read one, where do I have to go? I go, go to YouTube TV, because that's where we record it on the Paramount channel. It just gives him a headache. 
oh, people don't like that sort of stuff. And I'll tell you, that's a bit of a challenge. Even with just streaming and stuff, switching between channels and streamers is really hard. You know, you can go back and forth on cable between HBO and NBC. You can just click last button. But when you're on YouTube TV watching NBC and you want to go to HBO Max, that's a whole complicated system. And older people who just want to switch the channel are just, it's still a, kind of a big pain in the neck, I have to say. It's never going to be as easy as it was on regular TV until everybody cooperates. I saw some people using the, the Xfinity system, whatever that's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were, they're in their 70s and they, they don't even know what channel things are on. They just go, they just have this remote that they can talk into. and they're just Right, like, like yeah, Siri. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm like, when I saw them do that, I was like, oh, that's totally not going to work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work great. It doesn't work great. I'm sure it'll get better. And it totally worked every single time. I was like, oh, it It doesn't work great. I've I've been around it too. It's not the best. As long as you just like, you know, if you say Judge Judy, you're going to get reruns on syndicated. You're also going to get a link to, if you're lucky, the YouTube TV channel, or not YouTube, what's it called? Freebie or Freebie or whatever the hell it's called. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That channel that they're showing the new YouTube uh, Judge Judy stuff, Judy rules or whatever the heck it is. It's, it's not. And then, then you have to click on that to get to the channel. It's, it's still not that easy. It can find you something, but there's a carry. They love it. Oh, Cary Grant. And that's all right. Here's four things with Cary Grant in it. But, it's not really always what you're looking for. But old-fashioned television still is a big draw. Yes, you will find Amazon on this list of the 100 top episodes of the year, meaning everything from a sporting event to 60 minutes to whatever. But Amazon's on the list with four games from Thursday Night Football because Amazon is now working with Nielsen. So, hey, streamers, if you want to get in the mix, get with Nielsen. But you will find regular fare like 60 Minutes, NCIS, NCIS Hawaii, FBI. A lot of CBS stuff is filling out that list, though still sports account for 66 of the 100 slots. You know, it's a shame they don't count podcasts. I know we'd be like right up there with like, you know, on all those like 10 million and under, uh, we'd, we'd be there. Right, if you got 10 million viewers, you made this list. It's the number 1000 is about 10 million and for like a, a 30 or 40 of the of the of things on the list it's between 10 and 11 million viewers. So, that's the minimum barrier to get out. It used to be like, oh, to get on the hot movies of all time, you have to gross 100 million dollars. Soon it's going to be a billion dollars, but right now, I, I think they're just working off of um uh, you know, like live plus 7. I don't think they're doing live plus 30. Because some of these numbers seem shorter than they, or smaller than they should be. But, uh, you know, uh, when you look at the... You know, I, it, at, at CinemaCon every year, they have the, uh, and before that show, West, they have the $100 million reel, and it's like a, a, a super cut of all it's the... It's going to be longer uh, and longer. It's like, you got to make it the $300 I'm like, million you dollar know, reel. guys, you're going to have to raise this yes. to like a billion dollars. $100 million dollars a like weekend. 500 movies now. A $100 yeah. million dollar weekend movie. That would be, the, that would be the, the list to do. Yeah, so Nielsen has a list of streaming shows and how they're doing. NCIS and Grey's Anatomy are on that list of acquired shows every single week. Now Gilmore Girls is on there as well. You see them on this list with new episodes airing on CBS. Then you see it on Nielsen week after week. People watch that library of shows. That's a big deal. Uh, Encanto, that, you, that reached 22 billion minutes of viewing this last year. No other movie 
tracked by Nielsen on those outlets that we have hit more than 9 billion minutes. So Encanto is way ahead of everybody else. That was a huge phenomenon. We also have a link to the UK where Barb does a similar list of the top programming of the year. Uh, We believe that too is the live plus seven total. However, Barb covers all four screens, television, tablet, laptop, and phone. Why can't we do that here? If you look at their list, number one is the funeral of the queen. Thank goodness. Followed by the World Cup, reality shows like Strictly Come Dancing, and I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here. You should be on that show, Sperling. Uh, I agree. Bake. I I I could do a, 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 a you know an English accent. I mean, badly. I'd probably well, be the first one kicked off the island. You don't have to pretend to be English to be on. Oh, it. okay. No, that's okay. that's not necessary. And when you were like, well, where's the TV show? For God's sakes. Um, the, the first TV show on the list is from the creators of Line of Fire. They, the fate of that show is, for some bizarre reason, a little bit up in the air. I don't know why. Uh, oh, where is it? No, that's not it. Bloody hell, I can't find it. Ah! Well, ah! well, here's the thing, Michael. You know, yes, it's, we're at talking, 53 minutes now as, as we oh, record. Oh, well, that was, you talked and, about football for four hours. I can't talk about Line of Fire? Line of Duty, maybe. I don't know. All right. Anyway, well, you can. Well, uh, you, but you just want to save time for dead people, don't you? Well, no. I was going to say linear there television. There we go. Line yeah, of Duty that's... was the series. The creator of Line of Duty, uh, Jed Mercurio, went on to co-create a new show called Where Is It? Where Is It? Trigger Point. Uh, this was. He also did Bodyguard, by the way. That was a huge hit. But one of the stars of Line of Duty, Victor McClure, is now the star of Trigger Point. She's a police bomb disposal expert in London. Sounds very exciting. Ripe for remake, people. She's ex-military. She's a bomb disposal operative. I'm guessing her private life is a mess. And she has to, uh, you know, diffuse bombs all the time, apparently, all over London. Uh, You might remember an old TV miniseries called Danger UXB. That's a great miniseries, though I don't think it's available much anywhere right now. But Trigger Point is the number one show in the UK. Bodyguard was a big hit. I'm assuming this one will get here if it hasn't already, and it'll be worth checking out. Can, can I talk about how linear TV isn't dead now? Please. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, we looked at CBS and all that stuff. That's a, that's a segue for you. <laughs> well, CBS. All right. Well, uh, I know, Michael, you have a, a rundown of all of the, the people who, who have passed away over the past two, two weeks, uh, leading with, uh, no, not the Pope, because we, you know, let's oh, face BritBox. It. Go to BritBox and you can watch Trigger Point. I have it, but I'm sure it's worth watching. Um, but yes, a lot of people died over the last two weeks. Um, we won't cover them all, but uh, the one that looms large for me is Barbara Walters, the groundbreaking journalist. She died at 93. As a lot of people pointed out, she did so many firsts that it's ironic in a way that they're like, The View, Barbara Walters of The View, The View. Well, that's what she's known for from the last 20 years of her career. That was mostly what she did along with some primetime specials, and then she segued out of that and retired. So The View was her last great, uh, you know, certainly commercial achievement, and it really did change daytime television. They said, You know what? Women like to talk about stuff other than cooking and fashion. Now, Phil Donahue made that clear decades earlier in the 1970s, along with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, but daytime early TV, you know, The View, look at Fox News. The Five is basically The View. Um, it's, a, it's a format that has worked well. Uh, but she did a lot of stuff. Uh, we knew she wasn't doing well. When The View had a season-long celebration of 25 years on the air, 
She wasn't even seen offering up congratulations in a video clip. It turns out she was uh, fighting dementia and dealing with dementia in the last years of her life. So that's too bad. Now famous for celebrity interviews, and she broke a lot of, you know, did a lot of cool stuff there. She broke down barriers for women every step of the way. At one point, she was the highest paid journalist on television, earning $12 million a year at ABC for her scoops. When she interviewed Monica Lewinsky, it reached 70 more, <laughs> 74 million viewers. You're looking at the top shows of this year, right? I mean, NFL is at 99 million. It's a big jump down after that. You know, 60, 70, 60 million for the biggest football. She reached 74 million viewers, the most ever for a journalistic interview on primetime. She was the first woman to be a longtime co-host of Today, alongside Hugh Downs, who was a big champion of hers and a friend all their lives. By the way, people kept saying she was the first host of Today. That's not true. They had a number of women that would pop in and out. She was the first one to be there a long time and to work and to click. She was the first woman to co-anchor the evening news. She launched her TV specials in 1976, becoming an Oscar tradition in the bargain. Uh, she went, when she co-anchored the evening news, that was with Harry Reasoner. He didn't like her at all. He hated having to co-anchor after being the solo anchor. Uh, they butted heads all the time. He made her life miserable, and she moved on to, like, huge success, uh, but left behind the evening news. But she and Hugh Downs uh, reunited on 2020, which is an institution for ABC still after all these years. And, of course, The View. And at every step of the way, she was limited by her sex, criticized both for being too pushy and too meek with her interviews. So go figure that. But a really important... Know, she made everybody cry. She, she made everybody cry. Well, not That's she wasn't she making was Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin cry. She wasn't making Fidel Castro cry. But she did. She got the gets. And that was what was important to her. So a sad one to say goodbye. Some other people died a little quicker. British singer Terry Hall of The Specials and Fumboy 3 dies at 63. Uh, their big hit was, um, where is it? Uh, oh, Ghost Town, uh, a critique of Margaret Thatcher's uh, UK, uh, an important signal song. Their debut album is really the one they were on the tip of the spear for the ska movement, which was really radical. It was political and it merged people, people of color, black and white. Uh, performing together on stage. This was not seen in the UK before the ska movement in any sustained level. So they and Madness and the English Beat and all the others that followed, uh, it just owes a lot of big debt to the specials. Very cool group. Uh, and he wrote, We Got the Beat. He co-wrote Our Lips Are Sealed. I beg your pardon. Our Lips Are Sealed with Jane Whedon, the first one of the first big hits for the Go-Go's debut album. He was friends with them and helped, uh, and helped lift them up. So that's cool. Art director James J. Murakami died at 91. He did a lot of movies for Eastwood, and he did Deadwood. Uh, so he's, a, he's an important figure. Tom Bell, a producer in Philly. He was the architect, one of the architects of The Sound of Philadelphia. He died at 79. That would be that swirling strings and pop music like Get on the Love Train. You know, so go listen to the Delphonics, the Stylistics, the Spinners, and you're listening to Tom Bell. Uh, Bill Pence, the co-founder of Telluride, everybody's favorite bespoke film festival. He died at 82. Pretty cool. They did the Telluride Film Festival, and when they retired after 32 years in 2006, they also, 2006, he and his wife, yeah, yeah he and his wife uh, advised the TCM Film Festival. TCM does a great film festival. And remember, he was the co-founder with his wife, Sally, right by his side all the way. So they, as a team, really made Telluride the Oscar force and very cool festival if money is no object <laughs> that anybody would enjoy. Now, did you like the Pointer Sisters? Uh, to a point. 
<laughs> well, Anita Pointer, she's one of the last of the original Pointer sisters to die. She died at the age of 74, a key member that apparently kept everybody together and happy. She was the glue for all the, of the family, a multiple Grammy winner, died at 74. That leaves Ruth, who joined the group a few years after it began, as the last of the original members. I'll put that in quotes. Now, Anita co-wrote and sang lead on I'm So Excited, one of my favorite Pointer Sister songs. She also was the lead on their breakout cover of Bruce Springsteen's song, Fire. That is a great cover of Springsteen's Fire. And they were a crossover smash in the 80s, but they began with a retro style, had a big hit with an Alan Toussaint song called Yes We Can Can. That soared to number 11 on the pop charts. Then they had success on the R&B charts with the number one hit, How Long Bitch You Got a Chick on the Side. And then in 1983, they went pop in a really big way with their biggest album ever, Breakout, which I owned on cassette and you wanted to hit that side one over and over and over again. Because if you got the version with I'm So Excited on it, which was an earlier hit put on the album because they knew it should be a hit too. Well, you had, uh, what is it? You had (coughs) Jump For My Love, Automatic, I'm So Excited, I Need You, and Neutron Dance. Yes, there was a side too, but mostly you hit Rewind. And did you like Modest Mouse? (laughs) I, I did, yeah. I mean, I still do. I mean, I think they're still a band, right? Well, they are, though. Sadly, drummer Jeremiah Green has died at the age of 45, so that's a sad blow. We did also just hear that Foo Fighters are going to continue along, even though their drummer has died as well. They have decided to continue as a band, and I'm sure that's what he would want. Why, you know, why not? You want them to keep making music and having a fun time. And finally, British director Mike Hodges, he has died at the age of 90. Uh, he doesn't pop up on lists of major directors very often, but he had lots of fans. Critic Andrew Saris, Stanley Kubrick, Martin Scorsese, Pauline Kael, Terrence Malick all praised his work, and often for different films. Among his credit are a number of crime films uh, like uh, Pulp and Croupier, a breakout role for Clive Owen. Clive Owen made Croupier, and people said, he should be James Bond. That didn't happen, but you know that's how good it was. It was 1974's The Terminal Man that prompted a love letter from Terrence Malick, as well as Stanley Kubrick personally telling Warner Brothers, you've got a major film on your hands. You really need to make this work. Like, stay behind it. Did you ever see The Terminal Man? I have not. I have not seen it. Croupier is a, is a great film. Get Carter, of course. Well, get uh, I can see why people course. liked him. I mean, he, well, I hadn't gotten I to mean, that yet. We did like, say what you're going to say. I mean, he's a very solid director that did not, get, you know, almost like a journeyman director that, that did not get uh, the, the the accolades that say a Scorsese did. Well, Get Carter, of course, is one of the great British films of all time, itself based on the classic crime novel by Ted Lewis. Both are well worth your time. That raised his reputation right from the start of his career. Oh, and in just case you're like, okay, Croupier, Get Carter, tough films, tough films. He also made Flash Gordon. Flash. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he so, made you Flash know, Gordon. Wow. Okay. He made the campy Flash Gordon, which, you know, people have grown to love in its campy, silly way. So, you know, not every movie works, but sometimes they work even though they don't. And sometimes our show works even though it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Exactly. Um, But that said, you know what? Find out uh, if it works next week when (laughs) we have yet another show. Um, I'm hoping there'll be a show. I'm hoping there'll be a show. I may have a little trouble with Wi-Fi. I'll still be in South Africa. There'll definitely be a show in two weeks, and I'm hoping to make it work next week. Unlike Sperling, I will fight every minute to make sure it happens. Okay. Well, you know what? Tune in next week when uh, you can find out if that happens. Um, you know what? To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Microsoft Marketplace, or Stitcher. Anywhere, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, uh, you can usually find us. And 
in some of those places, you can rate and review us. Please do. It helps us out when you do. Links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's also where you'll find those ways to subscribe to us, those ways to contact us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail, 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter where our handle is at Showbiz Sandbox. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox. That is where you can find the page to like us or our Facebook page, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Again, all that info on our website, showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, whoismgmt.com. Michael Giltz is a website, and every week, it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? This week, it's I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it, dot com. That's, That's my, a pointer system line. reference. That's, I love that line. It's from I'm so excited. I'm about to lose control, and I think I like it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> it's a great single. Well, if you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com, where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice.